Welcome to the Inner Revolution Show, where we take a journey within to uncover the inner resources deep within our soul to transform physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. It is through this higher sense of knowing we are able to design and live our lives with purpose, compassion, and for the collective consciousness. Are you ready to start your own inner revolution? Come with me. Welcome to the Inner Revolution Show, everyone. I am your host, Dr. Renee, and welcome back for yet another amazing week. I'm really excited about the shows that we continue to do here during the pandemic. I know this is a really tough time for us all globally, and we're all trying to wrap our heads, our hearts, and everything else around this uncertainty. And so what I'm trying to do every single week is bring you a variety of guests who are motivational, inspirational, creative, and just downright understanding of all the emotional perplexing elements that we're probably all going through right now. And I just want to go ahead and say thank you to all the listeners who continue to subscribe, follow, and provide feedback on the podcast because we couldn't do this without you. We are now in 36 countries. This is crazy. Thank you, thank you, thank you for everyone who continues to watch the show. Please share an episode with anyone overseas if you feel like this can bring some warmth and stability to their heart in these uncertain times. So the show today is going to be absolutely exceptional. I have one of my soul sisters on today who I have grown to love and adore through her platform on Instagram. Doesn't it seem like I meet everybody there? I really, really do. And our guest today is Kimmy Pearl, and she is just a phenomenal individual and has a fantastic platform and community called Worth the War. And her whole premise is to build a community to fight for real, healthy, love. And I'm telling you, this is probably not an easy task these days, right? Real healthy love and such an important aspect. And we're going to talk about that as well as a lot of other things related to the paradigm of narcissism that I know many of you are beginning to become more aware of, knowledgeable about, but there's still just a lot of uncertainty. Kimmy is, um, is married, first and foremost, for 30 years. My goodness, my goodness. That's a feat in itself, right, these days? She's a mom of four adult children, a home educator, very educated and knowledgeable with knowledge in political science as well as women's studies and work experience, environmental investigation, and retail management. So she is a very well-rounded individual, and she really is motivated to bring this information out to parents as well as individuals to one, bring a sense of awareness about narcissism and its impact on love and relationships, but more importantly, to aid the mental health, emotional well-being of children alike in the world. So let me go ahead and bring Kimmy onto the show. How are you, darling? Oh, I'm so glad to be here. It's exciting. I'm so happy to have you here. And I I knew the moment that it was probably a long time ago as I was reading some of your posts. I was like, oh yeah, she she has to be on the show. But it was about right timing because I know you had launched your YouTube channel. I've been there. I understand what that's like. It's a full-time job, isn't it? 
it is absolutely exhausting and it seems like the learning curve never as they would say today flattens <laughs> it doesn't i know and everything changes and then the the algorithm shifts and it's like oh my god i have to relearn this all over again but you are doing fantastic work i love your videos and if you guys haven't checked her out worth the war on instagram as well as youtube and I have just been in awe of your videos because they're, they're not only heartwarming in the sense that you are definitely talking from a personal lens. It's very obvious in this, but more importantly, you are well-versed, knowledgeable, you're doing research. It's not, and I'm not downplaying those people who have been through it and are doing the work, but some of them are just, you know, sort of spewing their emotional trauma into the world versus really investigating and doing the research and helping people walk the path. So in all of that, let me just say thank you from the community for the work that you're doing. No, it's, it's such an honor to do. And I think anybody who wants to speak publicly, it, it does scare me that we have so many, and, and you kind of touched on this on a, on a live that you did. It's very scary how much damage can be done when we don't speak from knowledge, and the truth is, I'm very aware of my limitations. I am not trained as you are in psychology. I'm not someone that can diagnose someone as a narcissist. So it's very important to me that I understand those lines and that I work within them because my experience comes from hard-earned pain of not knowing what narcissism looks like and how we can avoid it and wanting to get that information into the hands that maybe don't have any idea right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, I think it's so important that we have a variety of people in the field because, you know, even some psychologists who are out there with the ability to be clinical and to diagnose or psychiatrists, but they really haven't had personal experience. And those of us who have been victims of narcissistic abuse, it is an unrelenting experience that, you know, even brain research is wrapping its hands around and showing brain lesions and brain damage and, you know, severe PTSD um, imprinting for long periods of time and the impact that it has that this takes a lot of scientific research these days. So, you know, and I find your channel to be of the best caliber and really getting to that information. So, so can you tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, whatever you're comfortable, of course, how you sort of got to this path, because there's always a story, right? Sure. In fact, I was thinking about this this, this morning, but I can't think of any, I can't think of one really impactful um, organization or person that wasn't born out of sheer pain. <laughs> and, oh, I, and I mean, man. yeah, right. They're good response to sheer pain. And and, I, and I, I'm open to being corrected on that, but I can't think of one. And, and I think worth the war, in my experience, has been the thing that got me out of bed when nothing else would. And that experience started um, many years ago when I thought I was doing everything right. I really took responsibility for um, my children to make sure that they understood how to treat people how to love, what to look for. I even had my kids read books and sign things that they understood, especially before they could have their first date. I really impressed upon them, you know, you can't leave wreckage, so know what you're going in for. Even at very young ages, they can comprehend that you shouldn't just date somebody because they offer one thing for you. You need to be thinking about, will you, will you be leaving them in a better situation than when they met you and, and things like that. So here I was kind of prideful, doing everything I thought was right, reading books, doing everything. Abuse still found my family. 
and I was completely devastated um, as a parent, as someone who loved someone watching, as you said, the trauma, the PTSD, the, the, the things that were endured were beyond words. And having done that, the only thing that got me out of bed was to get me to my computer. And at first it was just a way to get the pain out. And then it became a mission to make sure that I would do all I could it, humanly possible to get the information into the hands of people who are healing, people who are unhealthy relationships, parents of children that have no idea what is out there for them. Yeah. Um, so I hope that that clarifies really what the mission of Worth the War is, and it's slowly tailoring as it, as it moves along. We're about a year in of full-time working on it, and about a year before that of just kind of stabbing in the dark with a little bit of, little bit of intention. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I couldn't even begin to imagine. Mine are still young. You know, mine, uh, my son's birthday's Monday, actually. So he Yay. is going to be nine. Yes. Oh. And my daughter is going to be 11 in July. And, you know, it, it's been interesting because I have been sort of talking to them in that way, as you suggested, you know, really, you know, don't go into friendships per se and not be able to communicate effectively your needs or, you know, if someone is not acting appropriately with you or sharing with you that it's so important that we learn how to express ourselves to those that we truly need something from. And, you know, I, I love that you're mentioning those things because I don't think we could do enough of that as parents, but many parents simply don't know how to do that, right? Well, right. So one of the things I really, uh, that really caught me was, is in kind of trying to navigate the space between abuse and, and healthy love and, and realizing that we spend more time teaching our kids to drive. I, I did a survey. Oh, it's ridiculous. I did a survey on Twitter and I literally got 75% of people said that they probably had spent more, less than 10 hours being prepared for love and relationship while we have net, you know, so many negative influences on that, that we are just soaking in from social media or from other places that, wow, less than it takes. To, we are more concerned about them not wrecking than we are about finding them in a huddle abused. <laughs> wow. That's alarming. <laughs> that is quite alarming, you know, and I, I mean, I can see that because again, many of us parents, the way that we parent, right, is based on what we don't want our children to live through that we live through. So sometimes they're not even thinking about their path and what they are moving into, but we're so consumed with what happened to us and we want to avoid those things. And if we hadn't gone through abuse or we hadn't faced those kinds of things, it's often not on our radar. And yeah, I, I can absolutely see that. So let's talk a little bit, because I think it'll be interesting for our, our listeners to really understand because Here's a problem I have in the field of narcissism and why I haven't really done a ton of work here, even though I'm very knowledgeable in many things, is I think it's just that people misunderstand it. Mm -hmm. um, it's a misused word. It is, you know, there probably are far more people that should be on the spectrum than are labeled on the spectrum, but also it's a spectrum, which people don't get. So people use the word and say, oh, he's so narcissistic. Oh, you're being a narcissist right now to mean probably 0.00, you know, 1% of what this actually really means, right? Right. So, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the spectrum and maybe some of the things you've learned along the way that might help others understand this more? Absolutely. So I, I think that one of the things that I've really benefited from is that it is really unhealthy to not see it as a scale. And it's super unhealthy to call somebody a jerk and, and you know, and just just slot in the word narcissist. And, it, and that, that's partially because we kind of undermine 
how much damage can be done by someone who is truly narcissistic yeah. or that's not even right that's not you see it i misused it right there who is truly a npd narcissist so we need to be able to see it uh we, we think about scales in terms of other diagnoses um, or, do you say diagnosis or diagnoses i don't know but diagnoses yeah thank you. yes yeah <laughs> thank you. See, that's where the education really helps so when we look at that scale it's it is really dangerous to be far on the bottom of the narcissistic scale yeah. you, you literally don't believe that you have uniqueness or that you are special or that people should treat you well and and there's uh, the, the book that i mentioned in a youtube video by uh dr malcolm malcolm um called rethinking narcissism he talks about that and he talks about just the damage that can be done when we beat someone down into the other end of the scale. So it's very important that we see that we want to have this kind of nice midline balance, like so many things in life, that essentially we, we do think that we're unique and special, that we're gifted, that we're valued, that we have something to offer the world that nobody else does. That's a, that is a narcissistic trait. Right. We want that narcissistic trait. We want it in ourselves, we want it in our children. And, and then when you start creeping up into the higher ends is where you start getting into this idea that I'm special, and you're not, mm. and I'm deserving of love, and you're not, and and they they need you know, and as you know, a lot of that comes from wounding, and we need to remain empathetic for the fact that they're wounded while being extremely informed about how to neutralize them. Wow, and I think that's so powerful because just as anything, as you mentioned before, there is a spectrum. There is, there is a element of fluidity to this energy as well and i was sharing with you pre-show that during my experience with a very very hurtful harmful character in my life many many years ago and i remember that i had to almost take on these characteristics in order to break away from this and to really survive and so have you seen that in the research and, and can you kind of describe a little bit about what that actually is? So I, I won't pretend that I've seen the research on it. I have heard um, experts talk on the fact that there are a couple approaches you can take and, and there's a real disagreement. Some people think this idea of a gray rock kind of just being mm -hmm. there, but not being there is good. People that I really trust and respect that, that some of whom are narcissists um, will say that doesn't work. And it doesn't work because if you're a narcissist, you have this deep down level need to get some kind of reaction. And if, if uh, somebody plays gray rock, they're gonna be more likely to be abusive. They're gonna try to pull them out of that. And it's hard to maintain gray rock in the, in the face of serious abuse. And so what you're describing is kind of this manifestation of someone who takes on narcissistic qualities and they use those to equal the playing field so that they can get their message heard and they can basically push back the narcissist. And, and there are cases where that can work. Depending on how narcissistic someone is, though, it could actually incite more abuse. Right. So you have to be kind of careful with it. it. It's just like so many things in life. You need to know your enemy to be able to defeat them. Um, one of the things I've heard that really works with a narcissist as well is, is to give them a flat response, but kind of put it in a way that lets them know you're literally unfazed by them. And so if they come at you and say, oh, that outfit looks bad, you say, oh, I'm so glad you really like it today. Or just kind of put them in their place. <laughs> <laughs> and it just kind of negates them, you know, trying to ring back around because then you really don't care that you don't look good in their eyes because you're starting to see what their eyes really are. So 
Yeah. And, and I think it's so hard when you have, you know, even someone who can be labeled as narcissistic, you know, on this sociopathic sort of scale and cluster Bs, as we sort of know, you know, that can also have a range of a lot of different attributes. And we can have people who are very covert and very overt, right? And so that's the part I think for me, I was joking the other day just about leadership in the country at this moment. And sometimes, you know, people get very angry at that type of leadership because it's just so blatantly in your face. But, but you know, the only strength to that is that you know it, you, it's there, um, you can see it. And it doesn't make it better, but it does make it visible. And so I always say that the covert spectrum elements and people are probably far more frightening to me because those people know how to wiggle into relationships uh, undetected. And, and these people are often years in relationships until they really have those huge aha moments. Now there's always flags, right? There were always flags. And when you think about it, you know, they were there, but these covert behaviors are really, really frightening. So talk a little bit about what you've learned in relation to some of those attributes. Well, Dr. Renee, I think that's probably one of the more sticky parts about all this is that so we agree that we want to be in the middle of the scale and we agree that we want to look for people. And when they're tipping the scale on the high end, we want to be able to recognize them. The problem is, like you said, they come from different kinds of traumas and abuses. So they're going to manifest differently. That false self is going to develop differently. So what we need to kind of back up and think about is we are rarely going to see the red flags until we see them in the rearview mirror. So we need other people. We need community to help us identify that in other people. And with the covert, even in the community, it's probably going to be a delayed response. So one of the ways we can prepare people who are either relearning how to love or never have been wounded and are heading out is to, to teach them a timeline that is realistic. And it's not just realistic for narcissism. It's quite frankly, realistic for all humanity. You need to be giving somebody time to get past the rosy glow, to get past the proclamations. You know, this future faking is a big part of the narcissistic culture. You know, don't let them use your hopes for the future to bind you to them. And, and to think of things long-term and say, well, we'll see. In the back of your head, when you start to see your vision with them, say, but we're gonna wait a year, a year and a half. We're gonna see how much of what they say is actually what they do. And we're gonna get the input of people we trust. And, and we know over and over that in abuse, people are usually isolated. That's part of the plan. Yeah. So we know ahead of time that isolation is off the table I think we're going to save a lot of hearts that way. Wow. I, you know, and I love the one video and please forgive me because I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but you really were talking about the reality of things, basically restructuring the way we think about love and relationships from the very, very beginning. And in doing so, really avoiding, as you just said, a lot of these problems that will come up later because we didn't give all of us right away. And some people are very controversial about that. You know, saying, oh, well, you know, if you're in love, you're all in love. But even the greatest, you know, spiritual coaches in the world, Sadhguru and things like that have even come out and said, there is no such thing as unconditional love. There are conditions and there is love. Humans can't do it. Humans are not capable of that. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. so hard. And that's why this, this work that you're doing is so necessary that we have to redefine love. We have to redefine relationships. We have to restructure based on all of the hurt and the pain and the trauma 
that we've all experienced to try to save our poor children from going through this. So I'll just, I'll just point out that one of the things that inspires me the most is that I believe that all humans not only need love, but want love. And I have hope. I am most every great movement started with a few determined hearts. And I believe that if we can do a couple things, we can really do a lot of preparation. One of them is we need to really get into the hands of people, the knowledge that what we have in this modern culture is a narcissistic view of love. I call it modern love. And that narcissistic view is about what you get out of it. Okay. And that is probably closely tied to an emotional perspective of love. The idea of healthy love should be based on give and take. And it quite frankly, I define it as a verb. It's what we do. And the emotional, and not everybody will agree with me, but I believe the emotional aspect of love is the icing on the cake of love. In having been married 30 years, I can uniquely say to you, there are seasons when that icing gets thinner mm -hmm. and then it gets thicker again. So it, it is, like you would say, it's got fluidity. So if we can get into the hands of everybody, honestly, the idea that love is a verb and that their feelings should not be an indicator of what they do, but rather how healthy their love is. Uh, I, like I said, there have been times when I have absolutely felt that my feelings were not keeping up with my commitment. And, and then I think, you know, kind of looking at some of the things that you do, you help people with relationships by tweaking some of the issues in relationship and quite frankly, often tweaking our focus, yes. that feeling will get thick again. <laughs> does that make sense? It does. This is so profound. I'm taking notes. I love when I get schooled. I'm telling you, these are the best interviews when I am getting schooled. And it doesn't get to happen that often, which, you know, I'm not a know-it-all, trust me, but I, there are many things that I certainly um, love to learn about, and this is one of them. And well, your identity is so humble. I think that you will constantly be teaching people because in humility is where we really, you know, I, I often say it's by getting my face ground in the dirt that my yes. greatest moments came along. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, where yeah. I've in my knees and broke a chip that yes. front tooth, you know, and got up and said, well, let's just yes. keep going. Exactly. Yes. That's so profound. So love is a verb. It Love is a verb. If you look in the dictionary, it's a verb. And, and it's, it really, really does come down to that. What you do between how you focus on someone and what you're willing to actually do for them will make all the difference on your relationship. So if we choose compatible, if we choose healthy, if we choose symbiotic, we're going to have a really good shot of a very long life with somebody. The problem is this emotional modern view of love truly is disposable. It is if you really look, just look at all the influences. It's about what you get out of it. How do they make you feel? Are they willing to go to the distance to give you what you want? And quite frankly, they think that there's more excitement in variety than there is in continuity. And as long as that is the mantra, we are absolutely going to keep finding wreckage on the road of this idea called love that quite frankly has nothing to do with love. And that's, you know, so powerful. And I know this is a bit off topic, but I just thought about it because, you know, again, I have a lot of experience and exposure over in other parts of the world where arranged marriages are still pretty significant. Yeah. Now, obviously, I am not debating, the, <laughs> you know, child bride atrocities and, and the abuse that exists in many of these relationships, for sure. But, you know, having gone over into some of these places of the world now, I actually have a little bit 
of, of a more understanding of, of why those things sometimes do work in a way. Um, because like you said, the emotionality isn't the highest concern. The highest concern is a long-term you know, longevity and success of the families and the relationship. And you know, when I really was able to take a step back as an American who was like, oh my God, this is not love. This is not a love marriage. You know, How dare you make choices for your children or things like that? That's not really what it is. It really is what you just said. People seeing the actions, the long-term effect, you know, things that need to be able to be fleshed out and worked through. And many people, the research actually indicated it's split down the middle of arranged marriages and love marriages. It's a 50-50 shot either so way. I, you know, I did a couple things on my, my um, website that have been really telling to me. One of them was I looked at is dating helping or hurting us. And mm -hmm. what I found in that research was that our idea of dating is more about practicing for divorce than it is for marriage. It's about when, when it gets boring, you know, and, and I'm not advocating people stay with people that they're married to, they're, they're abusing them and things like that. I'm not on that camp. But I am saying that when we experience a relationship, if our response is it gets hard, it gets boring, it's taxing, we give up and we do that five times, that is going to make our marriages harder. Yeah. Um, but like you, I'm not advocating arranged marriages or taking away the, the I don't want to go back to where women were basically, you know, traded off as property, but, but you know what, we can let that go happily. But we, <laughs> can, we can definitely realize that we had a lot set in, into our culture that was protective of hearts. And so going back to your idea of an arranged marriage, you know, there's a reason why it's about as happy and it's because they have realistic expectations. And having been married 30 years now, I can tell you that I did a lot of suffering based on, on not that the, my husband is not an amazing man, but that my expectations were completely ludicrous. And we need to change some of that. We need to get it into the hands of people that not only is it a verb, but it is a verb that will pay off in peace in your life. When you love someone and it works, you're happy and your emotions will always be up and down. And, and, I, and I think in one of my articles I wrote that, I said, do you really want to base the foundation of your family on something that can change based on the way your clothes are fitting or a bad day in politics? And, and that's really what we do when we base our love into emotion. We're basically throwing it against the roulette table and hoping it ends up well. Oh, and I know we were talking before the show about my own children and I was indicating how different they are. And we were having some fun chat, you know, talking about <laughs> parenting and parenting tweens and teens. And I'm thinking about my son and all of this because he has been one who you know, really has been very sensitive emotionally to things, but he's very, very uh, caring, nurturing, things like that. But I have probably spent a little bit more time having conversations with him compared to my daughter about, you know, just thinking about the, the grittiness of his character um, is, is a little bit softer than my daughter's. And I worry more about him in relationships and he is emotional and he, he does desire that connectedness through his friendships and he gets hurt very easily, you know, all those kinds of things. And I know that you are doing some really amazing work right now with parents um, and really trying to get this information out there. So can you talk a little bit about that work and some of the major points that you're really hitting and highlighting um, with us parents in the world? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I, I think in relation to your son, I, I raised two amazing 
men now, one's married and one probably pretty soon to be. And um, one of them was extraordinarily sensitive. And I can feel, I can feel the discomfort rise within me because I won't say I did a great job with that. I think I tried my best, but the truth is most parents are not preparing their young men to allow themselves to be sensitive. Yeah. So I advocate that you do that and you continue to do that, but equal part to that will be preparing them that many of the people, men and women that they meet, will A, perceive it as weakness and B, say that they won't understand it. It's, it's almost like trying to take a 10 foot pool with a, with, with a shallow wading pond. You, you need to understand that your pool of people you're gonna to connect to is probably gonna be small. And the number one job I believe now having been through parenting to a degree is preparing them for not just, you know, surviving, but preparing them for the bumps. And that is going to be a bump for him, but it's a bump worth taking. And if he sees it as it is a gift to have that kind of self-awareness, then he will, he will be fine. Unfortunately, not every child can navigate that during the sport years um, things like that. So I, I guess I would, I would just say it's important for them to, to be ready for the bumps of that and then be willing to do the extra work as a parent to find them places where they can land. Maybe, maybe he will be in, like I taught my, I didn't teach, I took my kids to fencing lessons and other things because uh, makeup wise, one of them really wasn't ready to get out there with the boys pushing each other in football. Yeah. Yeah. He does very well. I mean, he's been playing soccer now for about three years and he plays with a group of boys who are just as emotional as he is. And I said, how was this probability ever going to play out to our advantage? And I wrote a piece on protecting the emotionality of boys. And this is one thing I'm really, really an advocate for. So thank you for speaking on that because it's like, I feel like I've dedicated my life. No, no, you know, I'm certainly not backing away from women's issues and girls issues as that's, you know, we're still so far behind, but, but I think this is a a pocket that was missed when feminism became the the center of attention. You know, some of the the resources and other things that were afforded to boys before started to get cut back in a way. And you always get a pocket when you get a gain, right? Well, well well said. And, And from your daughter's perspective, I can honestly say that the younger culture is pretty much pretty much similar to what your son will go through it. Young women, this idea of being savage, um, yeah. it really is a narcissistic influence. And, and so your girl needs to be equally uh, prepared. It's like you think that she's, you know, that she is strong already and that's good, but she needs to understand that unfortunately it does become who you are if you don't identify it. And being savage, being narcissistic, it's just doggone it, a part of the world that they're living in. And it's yeah. important to prepare them with padding. <laughs> yes. Um, I could that. not agree more. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's bad. But in terms of abuse, what I'm, what I'm hoping to, to be able to continue to do as I grow this community is to get into the hands of parents as young as, as elementary school. Um, just concepts of love and relationship that are actionable and then will not set them up for abuse. I think what we're doing right now is we're essentially setting them up for abuse. And as long as we're doing that, I don't think we should rest well at night. We need to get into the hands of young kids what love really looks like, what abuse looks like. We're starting to see the number of nudes and other things that are being sent in elementary school, the mental issues that go with that. 85% of those that get sent 
the kids that receive them don't mind using them for revenge. So we're, we're entering into a world where our kids need to be on top of it before they even get to junior high school. How alarming, right? When you really think about that. And then we also have, you know, the, the atrocities of sex trafficking. Um, we live in a state in which it's a prolific problem. Yep. Um, and, you know, again, something a lot of people don't want to talk about. And yep. it, it has to be spoken about because it is real. It is not some imaginary thing underground. Um, it's real, right? And, right. And, and this is happening. And it's happening for boys and girls. And, and the exposure by media, I know you did an interview on pornography and narcissism not that long ago, but that has always been um, a really touchy subject for many people because, you know, again, people try to defend the, the you know, billion dollar industry as an art form and, and other people are fighting it, you know, versus freedom of speech. Other people are arguing, but why do people get fascinated with this in the first place, right? And so, yeah, so I think this is another issue for parents that many of us don't want to look at. But we do, we have to be very aware of what our kids are seeing online, even in games. You know, I look at some of the avatars in my son's game and I'm like, oh my goodness, <laughs> you know, <laughs> how do you protect them from these and not set them up for abuse and, you know, other things like that? You know, I, I could talk to you for an hour and a half about porn. <laughs> it was one of the first things that I had to learn about, unfortunately. Um, I think the reason people are afraid of it are two reasons. One of them, whenever I post anything about porn, I, I can count on getting 10 times the amount of negative response that I do to anything else I do. But I do it because I don't do it from a moral perspective. I have a worldview. I hold it dearly. But I don't try to extend that to other people. So my idea, it's not a moral argument that I make. The people that I respect the most in this area don't, aren't actually advocating we get rid of pornography. And, and for a lot of reasons, one of them probably is free speech. But they apply a scientific approach to it. And when your son's turning nine, he's two years away from being the average age that kids start to view pornography. And the common sense argument I have about pornography and, and parents not really understanding its danger is it's not your grandfather's pornography. It's not a picture of a naked woman under a tree. It is um, very different than that. I, I won't you know, offend people, but the titles of the most popular pornography titles that were in the last two weeks are absolutely mind-bendingly abusive and, yes. and non-consensual. Non and that's what these kids are starting with. And then on average, the first kiss is 15. So you have four years that you have young men and women, women are creeping up to be just about as prolifically involved. You've got four years that that's their idea of sex, okay? And most of it is kind of coming out as being non-consensual. So we wonder why we have this intimate partner violence problem amongst the high schoolers. Well, guess what? These young men that are just sweet, like your young man, he, his image is, if I don't get abusive, they don't want me. If I want to be a man, this is what I do. And the woman is starting to believe she needs to accept it. So we have amazing stories being told by young women on my article that I have in my blog, because I could give you 30 young women who have been assaulted. And yeah. honestly, I think the main thing I see is this bottom line is pornography. And so it's, a it's, it's also part of human trafficking, but it is a training ground. And the science shows it, it leads to women being insecure about their bodies. It leads to life satisfaction, both men and women, uh, as being much lower. And I have probably 15 to 20 people who follow me who just follow me because they know I'm anti-porn because they're in this movement that they aren't doing it from a moral perspective. They're doing it because their lives are awful. <laughs> yeah. And 
it's an addiction and, and that they've shown that. And I, I cited a bunch of the science and, and some of the articles. So yeah, people are afraid to talk about it. And I think if we don't approach it from a moral perspective, we should be able to have this discussion as grownups and we should be able to, to get into the hands of parents, the kind of apps that will give their kids a fighting chance to know what a first kiss is actually supposed to be like. Oh, I, I seriously could talk to you all day and we're getting to the end of the show already. <laughs> This has it's been like, fun. <laughs> oh, I know. So we have to have you back. Absolutely. Um, here in the revolution. And like I said, I love when I am schooled. I have notes. Like I'm over here. I was trying to mute a little bit because I'm seriously writing stuff down. But um, thank you so much for everything that you do and all that you are bringing to the world to educate parents, children, and those of us who were victimized. That we don't have to be victims anymore. We can heal. And we can yes. restructure and reshape. It's a hell of a journey. I'm not going to even lie to begin to trust again and to begin to love again. But as you know, in my own life, I was able to. And if I can, I know anyone can. Um, yes, yes. And I think if there's one thing I'd want to say to all of your listeners that are covering from abuse, it's so important to journal the things that, that you have learned, because the truth is we're going to constantly go back to what we could have done different. And I think we need to remember abuse doesn't come from inside of us. It comes from the outside and it hits us on the inside. Mm -hmm. And we've just got to hang on to that. People who are struggling to think that they'll ever heal, you will heal, but this is not like a breakup. This is a different road. It's a lot bumpier. Yeah. And it's a redefining of self, right? You know, now what do I get to be? And, and when you realize the golden ticket in that is where you find your freedom, I think in my own personal experience versus, oh my God, now I have to be what? No, it's wow. I get to be this and I choose, I choose and how beautiful that is. So my dear, I always ask this type of question at the end, I call it the footprint in the sand because it's about the imprint, the legacy of the work that you're doing. So, you know, many decades, as I always tell everyone, you're going to be here for a long, long time. So as you get further into your life and you're sitting there one day and you're reflecting and thinking back on the work that you've done, what legacy imprint impact do you hope to have for the world? My greatest hope and prayer is that I can be a small part of a community that makes a huge shift towards what love is supposed to be. Mm, absolutely beautiful. Worth the war is absolutely that, in my opinion. So those of you who have not checked out Kimmy on Instagram or on YouTube and other platforms, I highly encourage you to do that because it is absolutely a beautiful community and really redefining what we have always thought about in relation to love and relationships and really giving healthy tips and suggestions to get you there. So can you let our listeners know how they can find you? We'll have all of this on the radio page, but just in case they're listening right now. Sure, that'd be great. So pretty much it's worth the war is no spaces anywhere. We're on Facebook as Love is Worth the War. We're on Twitter and Instagram. And it's a, I'm still a learning curve. So my art, my articles are still works in progress, but it's on worththewar.com. And YouTube would love to have some people to talk with and interact over there. I'm with the crickets right now. So we'd love to see it worth the war on uh, YouTube as well. Oh yeah. We'll definitely put a link here on the radio page. And those of you who are connected to Facebook, you can also go ahead and comment here on the radio page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash in a revolution and just connect through your Facebook link and feel free and leave us a comment below on what you learned during the show. What was the most profound 
um, lesson. I've got notes. I mean, serious notes. And I'm a professor over here. Good God, I have notes. So I think you're going to have a gazillion takeaways. Parents, you know, young people who are really trying to redefine and, and find their way through love and relationships. And those of us who have been abused and are healing, this show is for you. So Miss Kimmy, thank you so much for being here in the Inner Revolution. Oh, this was a great joy. I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed it. You're just a doll and I, I love what you do and I'm grateful to be a part of it. Oh, and we're grateful for you. Please continue on with your beautiful legacy and please come back. Look forward to it. Everyone, for The Inner Revolution, I am your host, Dr. Renee. And again, please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. And we'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to The Inner Revolution with Dr. Renee. Tune in again next week for another fabulous episode. You can reach out to me on Instagram at Mudre, or you can check out my website at www.transcendentheart.com. Talk to you again soon.